0: New York is a great city for the arts but just what the art scene will look like in the aftermath of the coronavirus pandemic remains to be seen. The outbreak is having a devastating impact on the art world. The lights on Broadway have gone dark, museums remain shuttered, and gallery walks have come to a halt. Hi, I'm George Boldarchy. And this is Cityscape. The New York Foundation for the Arts is taking several steps to help artists get through this crisis. I recently talked with NYFA's Executive Director, Michael L. Royce, via Zoom. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
1: Thank you, George, for asking me to be on your show.
0: So what's the mission of the New York Foundation for the Arts?
1: NYFA is a 50-year-old service organization that supports individual artists in all disciplines throughout New York State and other parts of the US with financial assistance, professional development training, and online resources.
0: Wow, how important must your resources be right now?
1: I would say that they are very important. I think they're always important because I believe artists are probably one of the most important people that we have in any civilization. And so to be able to provide them with resources, funding assistance, professional development and mentoring, and any other resource they may need Uh, is critical at all times, but certainly during times that are like these. How would you describe
0: the state of the arts community in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic?
1: I would say that at the moment, the arts community is emotionally and economically feeling battered, shaken, and struggling to navigate the continuing shutdown of cultural enjoyment in the way we used to know it. But you know, at the same time, George, I think that artists have always been throughout history the first responders to society's ills, and I believe it is because of their unique ability to look at the world and themselves through multiple perspectives, that they come up with works that indeed challenge all of us to think and act differently, which then moves us forward in a positive direction. And I have no doubt they will do that again. this global crisis
0: can you share any personal
1: stories you've heard of artists struggling through this time reacting to this time Mm, well that's that's a really good question and i would say unfortunately i can share too many Mm. Um, but rather than focus on one story i think i would rather answer that by saying that these are for many artists desperate times not only are the places where they are usually employed and able to provide us all with their talented gifts Uh, as we attend such things as theaters, symphonies, halls, dance spaces, galleries, museums, poetry readings, open mic events, book clubs, films, and so on, they have also lost their day jobs and the sectors that employ them so that they can sustain their careers. There's no more catering. There's no more restaurants. There's no more ushering. There's no more temporary office jobs. Hotels are closed. Teaching gigs are over. Uh, One artist I know, actually, speaking of stories, uh, lost all of her tutoring pay because she can no longer visit her students nor can she work at the closed spa as a massage therapist So these two skills Which have given her given her over many years the flexibility and freedom and financial means necessary To concentrate on her paintings in a studio space. She can no longer afford Nor can she buy the paints acrylics brushes and other materials. She needs creative works um have been taken from her. So every cent now needs to be spared for food and rent. We were talking the other day, and she is thinking of moving back to her parents' home after being on her own for over 20 years. And at the same time, she knows she's very lucky to have a place to go.
0: Wow, that is absolutely incredible. So how is your organization assisting
1: individuals like that impacted by COVID-19? That's a really good question. And again, thank you for asking because I am hoping there are a lot of artists out there listening and I want them to know we are in their corner working hard for them because of the financial stress they and we are all under. So a couple of things we're doing. We are working on setting up funds to help artists through this crisis with financial assistance. For example, we've already launched a relief grant to assist women identifying visual artists through the generous support of the Anonymous Was A Woman Foundation. And we will be setting up a new one next week for picture book illustrators and writers, thanks to the generosity of the Maurice Sendak Foundation. And we do expect another two to come online in the near future. And I would say that foundations come to us to administer these COVID-19 specific emergency grants for many reasons. Some of them do it because they can't give out grants to individuals or they're precluded from soliciting funds on their own or to support these grants, they need an infrastructure that can launch a campaign and they don't have that. So we are honored that funders trust us with their funds and our our doors are open to any foundation that might want to have a conversation with us about creating individual artists' emergency grants specific to their priorities. Another thing we do is we have this, I believe, great emergency grants page, which is daily updated. And we know that people are seeking this information because since the beginning of March, when everything shut down in New York City, the number of users to these pages has increased by eleven thousand three hundred and seventy seven percent Wow when you think of that it's huge further we've transitioned all of our in-person programs to online platforms and have stopped charging for our professional development webinars additionally we have granted advertisers from any industry not just the arts the ability to post for free on our job board hoping that more jobs will be posted so that artists can remain active in today's workforce
0: what kind of a scramble was that for you to get that all together so quickly?
1: A big one. <laughs> a huge one. Uh, but, but most of the people who work at NIFA are artists themselves. So they know from the ground up what is needed, when it's needed, and how to do it. And I have to say, they are amazing professionals who dedicate long hours to putting things in place. And because of who they are, the culture at NIFA is nimble and agile and able to pivot easily. So really, the the answer is because of my staff.
0: How big is NYFA? How large is the organization?
1: We have 25 full-time employees and five part-time employees.
0: Does NYFA have a history with responding to emergencies? Actually, we do.
1: Um, When Hurricane Sandy came along, we immediately set up a relief fund to distribute approximately $2 million within 14 days of the hurricane for artists living in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And then previous to that, uh, when 9-11 hit, we worked with other arts nonprofits and funders to distribute about two to $3 million to artists in need. So yes, the history's there. How
0: hopeful are you that the arts will make a full recovery after COVID-19 like it did after 9-11? Because things looked pretty dismal for quite some time after those terrorist attacks.
1: They did, and we did come back. And so that's a really good question to ask. I tend to be on the positive side And I am very hopeful that a recovery will occur. But what I'm not sure of is, will it be the same arts infrastructure that we used to know? Uh, It may look different as artists and arts institutions respond to the fear, and this is really important, the fear of people coming together in public settings. And it may, that fear may be inside people's souls or their bodies or the memory, uh, for many weeks or months after we're told it's okay to go back our normal ways of being at the same time artists are above all resilient and i know they'll find a way what may not come back to a full recovery are the cultural institutions uh, that we are used to attending to see creative works i think it's too early to tell how the federal stimulus acts will carry us through and how long we need to be carried through but one thing i feel has to happen is that Cultural organizations have to think through if they want to get back up to running the way they were as soon as the green light is given to us, what structures they're going to put in place to alleviate the fear that the public will be feeling. And so, when I say this, maybe there'll be a form of social distancing required when you visit a museum. And if so, what will that look like? Or maybe theaters will make masks and gloves available to anybody that attends a performance. Um, And maybe there needs to be some type of extra type of security in any kind of cultural venue we go to. Perhaps it's even someone taking their temperature. I really don't know, George, but I do know that people are scared today. People will be scared tomorrow. So unless we start thinking about that right now, we won't be ready to go when we're told to go.
0: It's so surreal to think about the cultural institutions that we have in this great city of New York right now sitting empty of visitors, right? The Met, the Guggenheim, all of that amazing art right now, not being seen by eyes. Incredible.
1: Yes. I think there's a lot of grief going on for people that really enjoy culture and for those that create culture. I think if we had to label the overall feeling, yes, there's fear, but it's a huge loss in our lives that we're used to having near us or feed us or sustain us every day when we breathe. It's not there anymore. And that loss is felt acutely. So I would call it grief.
0: What do you think of the reaction? Because we are seeing, fortunately, a positive reaction in terms of these cultural institutions making things available online,
1: making it work at least some way so we can get that cultural fix. I think that's fantastic. I mean, again, Going back to what I said earlier, artists are really resilient and there are so many at the moment, I find outstanding live or recorded cultural events happening online right now from artists in all disciplines and some of them are really quite famous doing things out of their own living rooms. So that's kind of cool to see someone really famous in their own living room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're bringing entertainment and solace to the rest of us. and. I find that it only, it only takes a few moments of browsing to find a really cool or interesting or an established singer, dancer, actor, filmmaker, writer, painter, doing something that will rivet your attention. So, you know, have fun. Uh, poke around the internet and see what you can find. Most of it's free. Some of it's offered for a very low ticket price or a very low subscription price.
0: So what institutions are you most concerned about, are most vulnerable to never opening up again,
1: Well, I like all the institutions. I'm quite biased in that I love culture. Um, But I think the larger ones with million-dollar-plus endowments and huge government support will survive. I don't think there's a question of their survival. Again, what they look like, what the structure is, how they respond to the fear is a different story. But the smaller and perhaps more cutting-edge venues that we've come to enjoy in this city, uh, the things that happen out of people's apartments or that happen in bars, or that happen at meetups, uh, or that happen on the streets, all those types of things with very marginal budgets and most people volunteering their time and their energy and their resources, I think many of those won't be able to come back for quite a while or not at all. And so that makes me very sad.
0: What do you think the future of Broadway looks like? I mean, you sort of painted some scenarios there Similar, though, taking temperatures, perhaps requiring face masks?
1: Yes, I think they may have to consider this. They also may have to consider uh, seating uh, with a seat in between every single person. I mean, I know it sounds outrageous for me to suggest that, but if people aren't going to come to your theater because they're worried about the person on their right shoulder or left shoulder may still have the virus or a second wave of it, then you have to do something to address it. And just having some government official tell us to go back to normal and it's okay now, is not gonna work, I believe.
0: I know that NIFA has been helping immigrant artists in New York City by providing them with specific programming needs, and that you've been doing this for more than a decade now. Tell me more about that.
1: Sure, um, I started the program about 12 years ago because I believe and I think everyone listening to this particular program believes that immigrants are the heart and soul of New York City. And at that time, there was no arts program specific to their needs. And today, for better or worse, the challenges of being an immigrant in the nation are prominent in the headlines almost daily. And because of that, uh, over the last three years, we decided to take the program national and have been providing our mentoring and professional development courses, not just in New York City, but also in Detroit, Newark, Oakland, and San Antonio. Um, And in short, what we do is we pair up an emerging immigrant artist with an established immigrant artist and these established immigrant artists either come from the same country or they speak the same language or they have the same discipline and their role is to help the emerging immigrant artists to understand the arts ecology not only in their local communities but in our nation so that these emerging immigrant artists can make the connections and empower themselves to further their careers and one thing we started to do in direct response to COVID-19 and recognizing the devastating effects of gallery and museums being closed is that we opened up one of our social media platforms, Instagram actually, to our program alumni from the many years of our immigrant artist programming to help them gain vital exposure for the work. So every day now, you can go on NYFA's Instagram account and we are highlighting one of the immigrants from the program over the last 12 years, and helping them and their work connect to over our 14,000 followers.
0: I know you do some of your programming in English, Mandarin, and Spanish. Will you be doing more programs in other languages?
1: Well, we were all set to do that. (laughs) We really were. Uh, But then the health crisis erupted, and we needed to quickly switch our programming to financial and free resources in the languages we currently work in, so that Uh, all the urgent communication that needs to get out as quickly as possible could get out. Many of our constituents that depend on us or subscribe to our weekly newsletter, they needed this information almost daily or hourly. And so we decided for now uh, during this time, no more new languages because the development of new languages and implementing it into all of our programs and services is quite uh, an orchestrated event and we're happy to do it but it takes a lot of staff time and a lot of double checking and a lot of back and forth with the communities we're trying to reach to make sure that the language, the phrases, the tone that we're using is acceptable, is understood, is not in any way offensive or misunderstood. And so we have to put that on hold for now, but once once things settle down, I think we will revisit uh, more languages.
0: What's your advice to an emerging artist in this climate, what's your advice to you know, a student of art? What does the future look like? How do you go about pursuing that dream?
1: Well, I think we have to understand what an artist is, who they really are, before we can answer that question. And my experience has been that, in all honesty, no one wants to be an artist if they don't have to be, because for most people, 99% of the people who become artists, the struggle to sustain yourselves in your career and economically and raise a family and have insurance and buy a home is enormous, almost beyond anyone's comprehension when you look at it over an entire lifetime. And so I find that many people, have a desire to be an artist, especially when they're young, they wanna create, they wanna be free, they wanna express themselves. And those that pursue higher education to increase or learn more or better hone their disciplines, uh, pursue that and that narrows out how many people are actually going to pursue it. But then once you graduate, if you can't help but be an artist, you won't be one after you understand the reality of being one even after all that learning and education and encouragement. And so my advice really would be if that's who you are, if you must be an artist because you can be nothing else is to, to stand up for yourself and your passion and your integrity and to know that you are not a second-class citizen in this country, that we are all better because of what you do and how you think and what you bring to the picture, and that you deserve our attention and you should demand our attention, and to go out and fight like hell for your creativity to be seen and witnessed and supported. And no matter whether we're in a pandemic or not, the struggle will always be there, and so the fierce determination you need to be an artist doesn't differ. It changes, but the determination doesn't differ. So my advice is stick to who you are and do what you need to do so that we can finally hear what it is you have to say. And then we fortunately will benefit from what you have to say. And we will then transform ourselves or we will shift inside of ourselves and we will be all better because of it. And thank the artists Doing that.
0: What role can the public play in supporting the arts at this time, supporting the artists, and after the pandemic is over?
1: Mm, you know, at this point, and I suspect for many months after the pandemic is over, what, and you should not be surprised that I say this, nor should anyone listening, um, what the arts needs is financial assistance just to survive right now. So, what I would say if you are someone that enjoyed a particular theater company or an independent publishing house or a concert hall or museum, I would urge those who can to think about donating funds to any organization that is still open to keep it open. And when an organization that you like opens up again, to be one of the first to donate to that as well. And I wouldn't be doing my job as the executive director at NIFA if I didn't say uh, that we could also use the public support and hope that you will Check us out at NYFA.org and also donate.
0: Tell us about the benefit auction you also put together, Artists Supporting Artists, the NYFA benefit auction.
1: You know, uh, NIFA, like many arts organizations in the city, does a spring gala, and or some, some of them do a fall gala. And those galas are usually for the arts organizations that do them their biggest fundraisers of the year. And because of the situation, we had to uh, not do the gala. And so what we decided to do is take the auction that happens within the actual gala and put it online. So if you go on the NIFA website uh, you'll easily be able to get to the auction and then there'll be a video uh, with me in it talking about the auction and the artist in it and the thing that we want people to know is that all of the works have been donated to NIFA. Some of the works have been created by internationally famous artists that you'll recognize right away. Some of them have been created by artists whose name you don't know, but all of the artists have generated their time and their money and their resources and their creativity to giving back so that NYFA can auction off their works and take those proceeds to help the artists that need the money now. And that auction closes April 17th. So to anybody that's listening, you can still go online and look at all the works and and bid.
0: What do you think the future is simply of the galleries? You know, So many people buy art because they like to stroll, they like to go on gallery walks. What do you think is gonna happen there?
1: Well, the galleries, in my opinion, were changing already. Um, Galleries are a phenomenal thing in that they, they bring to the public new artists all the time. They really are great at introducing artists that are up and coming or been around for a long time but haven't been noticed or doing something new and different that we've never seen before. And I think we're all grateful to them for this service to the rest of us. But as their commissions have increased over the years, some of them are now doing 60-40 or 70-30, where it used to be 50-50. I think that artists are beginning to question for themselves the value of Having an exclusive contract with the gallery. And so you'll see a lot of pop up galleries that are being put together by a group of artists. And you'll see a lot of artists deciding not to use the gallery route altogether and instead using Instagram or Facebook or some other social media tool to get their work out there. And it's working. Uh, People are seeing their works or hearing their songs or reading their literature online in some social media framework they want to know more they get interested they become a patron um, and the artists are able to continue to sustain themselves through this new methodology it's terrific actually and i hope that galleries do not close i actually love galleries but i do think before this hit artists were really starting to say to themselves is that the only way to go and is there a better way for me to go
0: NIFA has a book out called The Profitable Artist* now in its second edition. What's included in the
1: book to help artists be successful in their careers? So the book was originally written in 2011, and it was so successful uh, among MFA programs and other venues like that, that the publishers came to us in 2018 and asked us to revise it and put out a new edition, which is the second edition. That book is specific to help artists to hone their business side of things so they can be in effect profitable in monetizing their work now i do understand that not every artist is interested in that or finds engaging that type of thing as necessary and NIFA, through other programs supports the creative process in and of itself and we have a program that has nothing to do with monetizing it but if you are interested and taking your works out into the capital world and selling it. Uh, this book provides case studies on how to do that, pages to journal in, tips, structures. Um, it teaches you how to develop things as your particular marketing niche. Uh, what's your brand or individual brand and how do you pitch it? Uh, how do you write an artist statement? Why it's really important to have a, a preliminary understanding of financial and legal knowledge that you can properly read contracts and understand your intellectual property rights. Mm -hmm. So all that is there for artists, again, who want to understand and improve the business side of their practice.
0: I understand this book will be published in China later this (laughs) year. Will a book written for artists in the U S work in China? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And I say that because I think we all learn from one another and that, cross-cultural exchange brings us together so that we become smarter uh, we're more accessible and we're better understanding of our neighbors and there are many artists not just in China but all over the world who want to learn how to break into the various contemporary art markets that are in the US uh, markets and there's many US artists who want to learn how to break into the international art markets in countries outside of the US so this book is written for one side of the equation right for Chinese artists who want to break into the U.S. contemporary market. Hopefully there are books out there for U.S. artists who want to break into other markets outside of U.S. But it is written specifically for that purpose. And so, yes, I believe it will be very valuable. Michael,
0: where did your passion for art begin?
1: It's what started when I was a a teenager, really. Um, You know, my my sister became a visual artist. My brother uh, became a drummer and I became an actor. Um, we, we lived in a family that many people experience that has a certain amount of uh, trauma and dysfunction in it. And so it was interesting that all three of us found our ways to the creative practices to um, find ourselves and our way out of particular dynamic so that we could basically start life anew. So um, there was a particular incident when I was in eighth grade where my English teacher, Mrs. Little, God bless Mrs. Little, um, I don't know her first name, otherwise I would say it, and I hope she's listening and I hope she's alive, um, gave us the assignment of creating a collage that represented ourselves. And we had, to, we had to put it on a poster board and it had, then had to do like a 10 minute oral narrative of what this collage is to your classmates. And because of the feelings I was experiencing and the identity crisis I was going through and all of that uh, as an eighth grader, each night I tried to put something on this collage. And I couldn't because I just didn't know who I was, where I was, I didn't know anything about myself. Nothing made sense in my head and, and I wasn't a jock and I wasn't an intellect and I wasn't cool and I wasn't someone who hung out. And I just didn't have a crowd to fit in. So um, I brought the poster in blank um, and I left it in my home room because I was so embarrassed uh, to exist. I really was. And when the teacher called on my name to show my collage, um, I said I didn't have it. And she said in a rather harsh tone, you mean you didn't do it? Mm. And I said, no, no. I, I did do it. And I, and I do have it. But I'm not going to show it. And in that moment, Miss Little saw something in me. And she believed me. And after the class was over, she came up to me and she said, you did do it, didn't you? And I said, yes, I did. She said, where is it? I said, it's in my home room." She said, you don't need to show it to me or to anybody. I know that you did it. But what I want you to do is I want you to go home. And I want you to think about the freedom you have now to put on that poster board, whatever you want to put on and maybe you rearrange it and maybe keep it the way it is. She didn't know it was blank. Um, or maybe you do it in a different color, but do that for yourself and then keep that for yourself. And I did do that. And I kept that poster board under my bed for years, but it was that particular set of circumstances that for the first time allowed my mind to travel in a different direction in an abstract direction, actually, to begin to understand my place on this planet. And if that event hadn't happened, I don't know that I would have had the remarkable life I've had. I really don't.
0: Wow, that's a remarkable story. And I do hope that Ms. Little is listening because I think she should hear that and the impact that she had on your life.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: Michael, thank you so much for taking the time and I wish you all the best.
1: My pleasure. Same to you.
0: Michael L. Royce is the executive director of the New York Foundation for the Arts. More info at NYFA.org. That's N-Y-F-A dot org. And that's all the time we have for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bolarky. Thanks for listening and stay healthy.